This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Teachable Moment, the show where we get to know the people that make LCC go. I'm Steve Robinson, president of Lansing Community College, and I go one-on-one with a member of our campus community to learn about a key concept or idea from their area of expertise. It's a show about what makes LCC great, the fantastic people with inspiring ideas who change lives every day with their incredible work. My guest today is Amy Ewald. She's the information literacy lead librarian in our amazing library located in the TLC building. And she's going to talk with me about media literacy and some tips for us for evaluating information as well as some of the different research that has been done on this area. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. And thanks, uh, thanks for sitting down on Teachable Moment. Tell me a little bit about yourself, though, before we get into your idea. How long have you been at LCC? I've been at LCC about 10, 11 years now. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. good amount of time. It is a pretty good amount mm-hmm. of time. And uh, started out over there in the library mm-hmm. and worked kind of in the, the what we would call the, the back of the house, the back of the library. Right, cool. <laughs> so that would be a lot of cataloging and mm-hmm. sort of making sure the books are you know, where they should be and our electronic resources and things like that. So I started off... Um, working at that and then kind of worked my way up and became um, an adjunct uh, research and uh, reference librarian, Mm -hmm. taught library instruction, did that as well. And then um, I became full-time and became the information literacy lead librarian, kind of a big title. (laughs) That's a a big and important title. And I have to tell you, uh, just full confession, I'm a big library nerd. I I really, really am. So you have a very important job. I love our library. Uh, So thanks for all you do for our students. But when I was a student, I really hung out at Main Library. In fact, I told the current director of the library where I spent a lot of time, I said, your building is where I learned to think. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you have a really important job. And I have also another confession. I have an overdue library book from oh. our from our um, library. I checked it out during lockout. I mean, I actually hey. brought it my, home myself, but I actually have it set aside because I'm done with it. I'm going to return it. So um, I promise I'll do that. Oh, no problems. No worries. Yeah. So um, exciting time at the library before we get into your teachable moment, because we've done a really impressive remodel yes. over there. How yes. you liking it? Oh, man, it's such a nice, a nice library and nice learning commons that we have. Uh, it, it's it's the, the library of the future. It looks really cool over there. And uh, there's so many places to, for students to work and to study and do the things that, you know, they need to do outside of class to, to really be successful here at LCC. I think that description's perfect, the library of the future. So yeah. our listeners, if you have not been to the TLC building, uh, which is right downtown, we have done an amazing modern remodel of this uh, great building, great uh, great infrastructure, but really modern. We've got yeah. uh, state-of-the-art vending there. And one of the things I know, you and your colleagues over there, this is not a shh 
kind of library, is it? No, no. There's there's definitely quiet spaces if you do need that, but right. there's also spaces for if you need to work with a group. You know, mm -hmm. if students have a group assignment or something, and they need need a place to go where they can meet up. Lots of spaces to do that. If there's you need to print something, you know, you're running before class, you got to print off your paper or something. You can you can drop in and do that. So there's all sorts of different stuff that you can use the space for, mm -hmm. um, and it's really designed for students, for our students here, and and our faculty as well, and our staff. And that um, it's you know multi-purpose space, and it's a really check it out. It's cool. I, I love libraries, and uh, I love our library. And you're exactly right. There are these very modern, cool spots for students to hang out. Including, I have yet to spend some time in one of these, but there are these little nooks yeah, in the wall. Oh, right. Those right are cool. Those are cool. So your teachable moment uh, is related to library science, related to information uh, use. And so why don't we get right into that? The idea of the show is that you know all kinds of cool stuff that I don't know yet, and you're going to teach me an idea about information literacy, I think something called lateral reading. Do you want to talk to me about this idea? Yeah, so you know we're we're living in such an interesting time where we have so much information available to us right. all the time. You know, we pull out our phones and you know, bam, there's run a Google search. There's just tons of stuff there. So we have a lot of quantity of information, but we don't always have the quality there. I agree with you. I've heard this phrase that we're sometimes information rich and knowledge poor. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we're sort of so used to, to, you know, scanning the web and looking at websites and that, that we tend to take it at face value. And, you know, I think everybody is always a, a little bit guilty of doing this. I've done it myself, uh -huh. of, of trusting something that maybe you should have done a little bit of research on before, Absolutely. you know, you took that at face mm -hmm. value. So, yeah, there's that phrase, I did my research. I know, I right, love right, that right, phase, yeah, yeah. phrase. <laughs> Usually that's a tell for folks who really didn't do their research. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to talk about that today and give you a couple of tips of some things that you can do, especially when you're looking at websites and, you know, doing doing your research of how you can really get in there and do some good research. Well, then let me give you the floor and teach me this idea. Sure, sure. So I think it's probably best to start with a couple of um, recent studies that, that have been done. Okay. And... It'll kind of frame our conversation a little bit if I use this as an example. Love it. Um, so what what I want to start with is is what is called the Shegg study. And okay. This, this is a group from, it's actually the, the Stanford History Education Group. Okay. So S-H-E-G. Okay. Yep. S-H-E-G. Shegg. Okay. Yep. And they have done a lot of work in the past five, six years on how people evaluate information. Okay. And then from all this research is they've come up with... Um, a whole curriculum, lessons, videos, and everything that can help, you know, students, it can help everybody really to, to you know, make sense of what they're looking at and really get, get to the, the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. So what they did in this study is they took three groups of people. Okay. They took a group of um, Stanford undergrads, so they took students, college students. Uh -huh. They took a group of professors and faculty. And then they also took a group of, like, professional fact-checkers. So these are the people that are working at like Snopes.com and that to sort of debunk these stories and that. All right. So students and faculty from Stanford and then pro fact checkers. Yep. And pro fact checkers. Okay. And they, they put a series of tasks in front of them mm -hmm. and they said, you know, see what you can find out. Do you think this is a good source? Do you think it's not a good source? That kind of thing. And then they looked at, they really watched what they did and how they evaluated this information. 
And what they found out is that the the students and the faculty, right, the majority of us, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, really, when they went to a website and looked at it, they really looked at things like um, the logos and how it looked and is it, you know, is it nice and laid out well and are there charts and graphs? And so they looked at very this kind of surface level information. Got it. And, you know... I've kind of been doing this job a while now. Uh -huh. <laughs> and back when I started and when I was in library school, we, we would have these checklists of things. Um, sometimes we called it the crap test or the, the cars test. And it would look at sort of these superficial things like what's, is there dates associated? Is the, who's the authority? Who's the author? Um, and that was fine maybe five, ten years ago, but now we've reached a point where we got to go a little bit deeper. Okay. Because we know that um, if you have a good web designer, they can make anything look really good. So let me ask a follow-up question. The sure. CAR or the CRAP test, those mm -hmm. are acronyms for things that you're checking for yeah, to kind of yep. authenticate whether something was uh, a worthwhile source. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And while I think those things are still always valuable, you okay. should always look at information and, you know, think, is, what's the date on this? When was this written? Exactly. You know, who's the authority? Those are all good things like to a, look at. a set of encyclopedias from the 70s, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. Okay. So, um, so, so those are all good things to look at. And, and we also used to tell students, go to the About Us pages and mm -hmm. check out what, what they say, you know, about themselves. Right. Uh, but these days you have to remember... It's kind of like when you meet your new boss, you're not going to tell them all the bad stuff about yourself or all your you know, negative traits. Sure. You're going to put your best face forward. Exactly. So when you look at a web page and you check the About Me page or About Us page, they're going to give you what they want you to know. Mm -hmm. They're not going to maybe tell you all the stuff about them. They're going to Got put it. their best face forward. So what they were finding in the study is that the, the students and the faculty, that's what they would check, and they'd look at these sort of superficial things. And we tend to read, when we get to a website, we, we read down, right? We scroll down, we read vertically. Right. Um, the professional fact checkers, though, they had a different way that they approached it. So, so what they would do is once they kind of spent a moment or two looking around on the page, then they open up a new tab. And this is where you get to do your research. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because before you even really dive into to what um, the information that, that the page holds, start kind of looking around on the page and see who's responsible for it. So the fact checkers, what they do is they open up a different tab and they Google that organization or they Google that website and they see what other people are saying about it. Got it. What are there newspapers out there that are talking about this? Maybe there's an article out there that, you know, lead, leads leads you to something. So I actually have a really good example of this. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So and this is actually what they did in, in the study too. They used they used this um, website in particular. So if if uh Let's say you're going out, you, you want to do some research on raising the minimum wage. Okay. That, that's an issue. A lot of people, sure, sure. you know, you might want to know your facts. Students have to write a paper about Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. definitely. See that one a lot. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you go out and Google it, um, there's a, a really nice slick looking website that comes up called minimumwage.com. Ah. Yeah. So minimumwage.com looks, you know, pretty nice. And you go to the About Us page and they say that they're, 
Um, I even quoted it here as a nonprofit research organization dedicated to studying public policy issues surrounding employment growth. Got it. Yeah, sounds like pretty pretty neutral mm -hmm. organization. But written by them, like you said. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when and when you get into that about us page, you see that they're part of this Employment Policies Institute. Okay. And that should be a warning bell. What is the Employ Employment Policies Institute? What is that about? Okay. So um, kind of once the, the, the students and the faculty, they looked at this and they thought, this looks good. Good website, great logos. Sounds legit. Sounds legit, mm -hmm. exactly. The fact checkers, though, they said, uh, no, not so much. So they open up a new tab on their browser. They go to Google. They use their Google skills. Mm -hmm. And they type in Employment Policies Institute. And what they discover is that this is actually, um, uh, it is an it is an institute, mm -hmm. right, that they have. It's a nonprofit group. And they actually found an article from the New York Times that sort of, you know, leads to what is this organization about? It's mm -hmm. not quite as clear as, as what you might think. And they also looked at the Wikipedia page. Got it. So we tend to think of Wikipedia, especially at the university level, that, you know, Wikipedia, you can't cite Wikipedia and you shouldn't use them as a source and things like that. But Wikipedia has its own sort of purpose. I'm with you on that, by yeah. the way. As a former comp teacher, we yeah. can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But Wikipedia, you know, actually is is done a really good job of making sure that, that you know, things are cited correctly, that information is, is linked out at the bottom, they have their sources cited. So uh, the fact checkers use Wikipedia quite a bit, mm -hmm. and they quickly learned that the Employment Policies Institute is actually a fiscally conservative nonprofit American think tank that conducts and publishes research on employment issues, particularly aimed towards reducing the minimum wage. Cool. So not that there's anything wrong with that particular point of view, but, but that it certainly but, should give you an idea of the... the whether this is an unbiased source. Right, right. exactly. Mm -hmm. They they certainly probably have some type of agenda yeah, and, absolutely. A, and a way of thinking, yeah. and their goal, the information that they're presenting to you uh, could potentially hold some bias there and, right. and kind of maybe try and lead you down a road to believing that, um, you know, it's not good to, to raise the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and if they, they actually went a little step deeper on yeah, this, let's hear about too, that. because then what happens um, if you look through that Wikipedia page, you find out that it's really linked to a guy named Richard Berman. So, again, now do your more lateral reading. Get mm -hmm. off of the Wikipedia page that Got you're it. looking at and run the search on Richard Berman. Who's this guy? So it turns out he has been, oh, man, he's, he's a guy in Washington, a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is sort of known for creating these nonprofit organizations to act as sort of a front for, um, you know, whatever whatever he's trying to lobby for. Right, right. <laughs> I think the I think the political science folks call that astroturfing, right? Where you mm -hmm. where you where you sort of it's not grassroots. It's being mm -hmm. it's being sort of. It's fake grassroots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So the idea is really just to kind of take a moment to, before you dive into a website mm -hmm. and really get mm -hmm. deep into what they're presenting there, take a moment to look around, you know, see what, see, you know, what that sort of superficial level stuff looks to you. Mm -hmm. And then also get off of that page, 
or you can leave your that that open on your browser, but open a new tab on your browser, Google it, and Google the organization. Look at stuff outside of it. Right. Um, so really, lateral reading is just basically leaving the website you're on to determine if it's trustworthy. So let me ask some thoughts. That's fascinating, by the yeah. way. And you did a great job of, uh, it's the SHEG study for our listeners yeah, yep. from Stanford, S-H-E-G. So as a follow-up question, um, so what I hear you saying is that the lateral of lateral reading is getting basically off the channel of the person who is presenting or the, the voice that's presenting mm -hmm. all the information. So if we're on that nonprofit's website, we have to not just evaluate what's there, but move sideways. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the metaphor, right? Move yep. to other, yep. other tabs in your browser to, to see where that information is coming from. Is that yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, as, a, as somebody who taught freshman composition for many years, this is a cool and new idea, but it's also a super old idea when you go back to Aristotle in <laughs> rhetoric. He talked about these three ideas, ethos, pathos, and logos. Ethos is who is, who is talking, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's an important question with this particular group. You say, well, gee, we can take what they have to say with face value, but if we le read laterally, we can go and find out where they're coming from. Yeah. Interesting. It's really asking yourself, the most important question is, who's behind the information? Yeah, yeah. You know, why, why is it being presented to me, and, and what, what are they trying to, to lead me to believe or, you know, want me to think about this? Right, and, and what's interesting to me about that is if you think about a spectrum of uh, ideological beliefs, that could also be happening on another end of a spectrum, right? That mm -hmm. you, you're just finding out what vantage point is this particular um, piece of writing coming from. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. So what else What else would you tell people about this skill of information literacy or, 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 or lateral reading? There's the Shegg study. Uh, it sounds like you had something else you were going to share. Yeah. No, really just to, you know, take a moment and think about where it's coming from. Think right. about what might be behind it. Right. And then, then when you go back to look at minimumwage.com, then mm -hmm. you can kind of read through the information and maybe you'll notice a little bit more of the bias in it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you'll kind of realize you'll, it's kind of like taking it with a grain of salt, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, you, you'll recognize that, hey, this information is being presented by a group that is lobbying pretty hard to keep the, the minimum wage you know, down. They, right. they really don't want to They have a vantage it. point. They have a vantage mm -hmm. point. So it's really thinking about things. And I, I do see a lot of value still in sort of running through those old checklist kind of things, you right. know, looking at your dates and your currency on things and making sure there's an author and always looking for uh, potential, a potential bias in there. And then I think it's also good to sort of um, Think of, and there are actually quite a few sort of fact-checking organizations that kind of do this work for you. Okay. You know, Snopes.com is one. Right. Um, Factcheck.org. Mm -hmm. um, All Sides is another one where they'll sort of tell you which way a publication, you know, might lean if they're more left or right-leaning. Sure. Um, so, so that's always good information to, to anytime you, you're looking at something to, to kind of have that in the back of your mind. You know, listening to you talk, uh, one thing that fascinates me is this is an idea I think that's entered most people's consciousness is that, you know, some media outlets have ideological stand, stand mm -hmm. or viewpoints, right? And some of those are stereotypes like uh, CNN is over here and Fox News is over right. here. What you're talking about is a little deeper. It's not just making an assumption based on the uh, the channel that you're taking it through. But what I love about the lateral metaphor is it forces you to move in a different direction and and uh, 
do your own I almost said research. Do your own <laughs> yeah. research. Do your own thinking in that take take with a grain of salt. What other kind of strategies would you suggest for students who are looking to kind of independently verify what they're uh, what they're looking at when they research? Yeah, that that's a good question too. So uh, again, especially if you if you're not sure about a publication, mm-hmm. um, looking at the uh, and students will have will struggle with this often that they'll. And I think a lot of people struggle in in the digital age. It was much easier when we had print sources all the time and you knew like, oh, it's People Magazine and, you know, know, the New York Times and things like that. But uh, these days, students tend to confuse the title of an article and not understand that it's published under something, right? It's published in a journal. It's published, you know, in a magazine. Um, So if you're ever not sure about sort of, uh, especially maybe you land on a a news article online or something and you don't know what the Telegraph is. You've never heard of that publication. So, you know, again, use your good Google skills and, you know, Google, what's the Telegraph, Um, you know, and find out it's and really quick. You'll be able to, to figure out, hey, this is this is a, a publication out of the UK. It's got, you know, um, a, a very long track record. It's, it's well noted, that kind of thing. So little things like that, sort of Googling or Googling an author um, who, who wrote this and why are they, you know, why are they writing this? Why should I read it or be interested in, you know, what's their, their area of expertise? Well, that's fantastically helpful. And speaking of areas of expertise, thank you for sharing yours oh, with us you. and our listeners. I think we, uh, our populace as a whole could benefit from what you're really talking about is essentially critical thinking, right? Exactly. Critical thinking yep. and information literacy and this concept of lateral reading is something I had not heard about and will use and tell people about. So, Amy, thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Teachable Moment is recorded by Steve Robinson and produced in the WLNZ studio on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was composed by John Rowcroft. Want more Teachable Moment? Visit lccconnect.org for more episodes. And if you have an idea you'd like to discuss with me on the show, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. You're listening to LCC Connect on WLNZ 89.7 FM. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong. My name is Joe Thompson. I'm 29 years old and I have a career that I love as a systems analyst. Career. It still sounds cool to say that word. I never could have gotten on this path without a college degree. And if the college me were here, he'd tell you. I never would have gotten to college without big brothers, big sisters. I could have ended up anywhere, on the streets even. But college... Joe Thompson? Not likely. My big brother helped me out. He taught me I could do anything at a time when a lot of people were saying just the opposite. And to a seven-year-old, that means a lot. My big brother's name is Phil. And Phil is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a systems analyst. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. And that can last a lifetime. 
Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Welcome to Arts Connect at LCC, an arts hub of LCC events open to the entire community. Coming up, Summer Stage Under the Stars returns to LCC's outdoor amphitheater in the center of the downtown Lansing campus this summer with two free plays. In June, Romeo and Juliet, a contemporary take on Shakespeare's beloved tragedy. And in early August, Wiley and the Hairy Man, a family drama. Also part of Summer Stage this summer, but it'll be indoors in the Gannon Commons, is Dance Lansing, the last weekend of July. These are just a few of the great things in the mix. Explore all of Lansing Community College's abundant arts activities, academic programs, and more, and experience the power of the arts to connect. Visit lcc.edu slash artsconnect for dates, times, locations, and links. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campus offer newly renovated conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available to guide you through your experience from setup to catering. LCC offers convenient locations, state-of-the-art technology and hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces or to request a rental quote, please contact LCC's conference services at lcc-events at lcc.edu. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on Lansing Community College Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you're here. Let's do this. Ah, this morning, my daughter was singing, We Will Rock You. I'm sure you've heard of that song. And now this song is stuck in my head. And, I, and it's like, it's like don't. Dun, 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 dun. Buddy, you're a young man, hard man, shouting in the street, gonna take on the world someday. You got malware on your computer, you big disgrace, waving your antivirus all over the place, singing, we will, we will fish you. Sing it! We will, we will fish you. Yeah! <laughs> Obviously, the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on this show, and I will take advantage of that position. So, welcome to the Safety Plan Show. Here's the format. First, I'm going to describe a real-world cyber scam like phishing or malware or identity theft or the IRS imposter scam or one of the many, many, many other scams, and I will then explain why it could happen to you, and finally, how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to these safety plan episodes? First, as a leader, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so that you can hopefully learn and grow and become inspired by it. Second, a community knowledgeable on cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, 
then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your business or your company or your local community college more secure. Win, win, and win. So I'm Paul Schwartz. I work at Lansing Community College as the Director of Information Security, and I coordinate security issues for the college, things like data breach coordination and account compromise investigations and malware infections response, which is what we are going to talk about today. And I've been working in cybersecurity for 27 years, including 20 years in the Air Force, and then before I ended up at Lansing Community College. And I've got a few master's degrees and a few certifications, including the CISP, the Certified Information System Security Professional, which is the gold standard for InfoSec professionals, which is the culmination of a fun, very fun six-hour test, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Okay, today's show is on malware. Okay, what... What is malware? Well, that term was first used by a computer scientist and security researcher back in 1990, and it stands for malicious software. Now, malware is intrusive software that is designed to damage and destroy computers and computer systems. It is software that is specifically designed to disrupt and damage and gain unauthorized access to computer systems. Now, why do criminals develop malware? Well, there's many reasons. Mostly big nation states design it for stealing intelligence of their adversaries, but 99% of the malware that's, that's designed is by criminals, and they're, again, follow the money. They're after money. They want to trick victims into providing personal data for identity theft. They want to steal com consumer credit card data and other financial data. They want to assume control of multiple computers so they can launch denial of service attacks against other networks. They want to infect computers and use them to, to mine uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, or, or they want to encrypt the contents uh, like ransomware and follow up with an extortion request. Now, I'm going to talk about different types of malware that have, you know, different traits and characteristics. Now, on the least malicious side, we have malware category called adware. Now, this tracks a user's browser and download history with the intent to display a pop-up or a banner advertisement. And that would lure you into clicking on that pop-up to make a purchase. And adware is sometimes designed by advertisers uh, using their cookies to track your web pages and that you visit uh, to better target advertising at you. And this is on the the you know the least malicious of of software, a similar um, malware is called a pup or a potentially unwanted program. Now these are applications that trick users into installing them on their systems, such as browser toolbars, but they don't actually execute many malicious functions once they have been installed. And there are cases where a pup may contain spyware. Now that's the next category. Uh, spyware collects information and data on you and your device, and as well as observes uh, your activity without your knowledge. Now, now those are the least malicious of the malware, um, you know, categories of software. Now, as we get into more malicious, we're looking at a virus. Now, this is a common type of malware that can execute itself and spreads by infecting other programs or, or files. The next one up is a worm. This is like a virus, but it can self-replicate without a host program and typically spreads without any interaction by the malware authors. Now, here's two great examples of um, a worm and a virus. Now, you have botnet malware. You may have heard of botnets uh, through the news, but this is a collection of infected computers, sometimes 
tens of thousands of computers, and they're all joined together in a network of, of computers. And they're a bit dumb uh, and, and, and kind of drone-like, so they call them bots. And this botnet will then be used to perform a denial of service attack, or they could all be used to attempt to guess your your password on your account. That's called a password stuffing attack. Or they can do other automated attacks. The, the botnet malware is, is designed to infect a computer and force it to do whatever the attacker wants it to do. A similar malware category is called crypto mining malware. Now, cryptocurrencies, they pay miners to perform computationally expensive operations as part of their consensus algorithm. And this crypto mining pays these miners in cryptocurrency, which is, you know, again, follow the money. They're trying to make money off of this. Now, we're getting to the devastatingly malicious uh, software um, that is malware. The first is a rootkit. Now, this obtains administrative level access on the victim's system. So once it's installed, the program gives the threat actors root or privileged access to the system. So they can take over the entire system and do much more malicious things. Now, a fairly common, you know, very malicious malware is called a Trojan horse. Now, this is designed to appear, as its name indicates, as a legitimate software program, um, but it's um, very much a malicious software. So it can be sometimes bundled in with legitimate software, but there's an extra add-on, um, the Trojan horse, which is malicious software. And once activated uh, following installation, the Trojan can execute many malicious um, functions. Okay, and now I've mentioned ransomware earlier. Now this is, again, in the category of very bad malware. Now ransomware is designed to infect your system and encrypt all the data or exfiltrate the data, then encrypt the data. Criminals then demand a ransomware payment, extortion payment from the victim in exchange for decrypting the system's data. The final two categories um, of devastatingly malicious malware are a backdoor virus uh, or a remote access Trojan, a RAT by uh, its short acronym. Now this secretly creates a backdoor into an infected computer system that enables threat actors to remotely access it without alerting the user or the system security programs. And the final malware category that I wanna talk about today is Keylogger. Now this is a malware that you could infect into your system that records and tracks everything the user does on the computer, including your where you move your mouse and what keystrokes you type in. Even if you type into an email or open a web page or an, another program, a famous example of this is keylogging malware that infects your computer and waits for you to go to your bank's website. And then it starts recording what your username and password is and it sends that off to the attacker's you know, command and control computer so they can then log into your bank account and empty it out. It's all about the money. Now, how, does, how do malware infections happen? Malware authors use a variety of physical and virtual ways to spread malware. So by far, the number one way to deliver malware is through malicious links and attachments and emails. If you go back to my first episode on phishing, uh, this is the, the number one way to push and distribute malware. And again, sometimes these emails are disguised as legitimate messages, but they contain these malicious links and attachments that send you off to sites that download the malware and infect your computer. Other ways to deliver malware are by 
inserting a USB drive that's been infected into your computer. Or another great way is by a drive by download. That's when you visit a legitimate or not legitimate website. And just by visiting that web website immediately starts a download to your computer and then the malware executes. Um, there's other ways. Uh, another way is called malvertising. That's on legitimate websites that have, you know, you think of um, like uh, CNN or some of these popular news websites that have ads on the side. Sometimes criminals buy those ad spaces and load up their software there. And as soon as you view the website, that malicious advertisement on the site starts downloading malware to your computer. Um, another way is on fake software installs. So if you get your software through torrent or um, you know uh, some sort of non-legitimate website, it could be infected software and actually masquerade as malware or infected apps. Um, there's been legitimate software that has been loaded to app stores that has been malicious. Now, once you have been infected, how do you know that you have malware on your system? First of all, you'll see unusual activity and such as, you know, a sudden loss of disk space or your computer's running super slow or it repeatedly crashes or free freezes, or there could be an increase in unwanted internet activity or pop-up advertisements. Um, there could be browser redirects, like you try to go to Google, but it sends you to another website without you asking it to. Uh, there could be infection warnings, you know, from your antivirus saying you, your computer's been infected. Uh, you could have problems shutting down or starting up your computer. A, a great way to tell if you've been infected is your friends telling you. They, they've received these unwanted spam odd messages from you. That's a great way to tell you your email account's been compromised and criminals are using it to perpetuate spam. Um, another way, and, and probably the worst way to tell you uh, that, that you have a malware infection is by a ransomware note. So say you've, you've, your computer's been infected with ransomware and now you see in the extortion note saying, hey, all your files are encrypted and you need to pay me at this Bitcoin wallet or decryption key to... to to uninfect your computer. So how do you prevent malware infections? And so these are things that you can do to prevent uh, malware infections on your computer. Now, the first thing you need to do is have antivirus software on your computer, have it updated with the latest um, definition file um, and run frequent scans. This will look for malware on your computer. You also need to practice safe behavior on your computer. Now, this is not opening those malicious attachments or links, not going uh, to the malicious websites uh, or risky, you know, doing risky downloads or, you know, such as like free, you know, screensavers and, and other things like that. Avoid those. You need to purchase reputable software, um, you know, by sticking to the official app stores. Also, update your antivirus software regularly as hackers continually adapt and develop new techniques to breach security software. And these security vendors, their antivirus vendors, continually update that software to spot the, the latest malwares. Another thing is to scan your USBs with your antivirus software to make sure they're not infected. And also keep your operating system and applications updated uh, because cyber criminals are constantly looking for vulnerabilities in old and outdated software. Um, I recommend never clicking on a link in a pop-up um, in your browser. Uh, always use that X in the upper corner and navigate away from the site that it generates. 
Um, you also want to minimize your attack surface. This means limiting the number of apps on your devices. So if you're not using applications, you should remove those. And a bit of physical security you should not lend out your phone or leave your device unattended um, because criminals could get a hold of it and infect your device and you know simply um, hand it back to you or leave it leave it somewhere where you can find it, but you don't know your device is um, infected. And finally, I would check your bank accounts and your credit reports regularly to make sure that those don't seem odd. Now, if you get a malware infection, how do you remove it? Um, so as mentioned, many security software products are designed to detect and prevent malware. One of them um, is called Malwarebytes. You can run a Malwarebyte scan and it will um, remove the malware on your computer. Um, but some malware is and a lot of malware actually, honestly, is super sophisticated. And it's very much as my coworker says, it's like opening up a box of mice and they all scurry off to all the corners of the room and they're all over, you, you do not know, and people do not know what all the different things malware does. It you know changes your registry files and runs different programs and downloads files and modifies things in your hard drive and so forth. And so, for most serious malware, I recommend that you wipe your computer, and this means to delete everything off of it, reload the operating system, reload all the applications, then reload all the data you have, all the files and important stuff you have on your computer. That's the only way to be confident that malware is re removed from your system and that it's back to a secure state. That's a wrap. If you have any questions or have been a victim of a cyber scam, tell me about it by contacting me at the Safety Plan website at lccedu connect. This next episode, I'm going to cover another hot cyber scam. I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. So long. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's massage program is accepting clients for the spring semester 2022 massage clinic. The massage clinic is open to the public and provides an opportunity for the students of the massage program to gain valuable client experience. Relaxation massages and therapeutic massages are both available for a nominal fee. Visit lcc.edu and search massage for more information. I really didn't feel safe anymore at home. Every year, tens of thousands of youth experience homelessness. The possibility of sleeping out on a park bench. It's not something that a 15-year-old should have to think about. 1-800-RUNAWAY provides 24-hour access to a nationwide network of housing and support services. I felt such warmth. I felt comfort. I felt safe. Call 1-800-RUNAWAY. Go to 1-800-RUNAWAY.org or text 66008. We can end youth homelessness. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Today I have the distinct pleasure and honor of talking to someone who I've admired for quite a while and whose work graces our campuses uh, both far and wide. This is uh, Professor Brian Bishop. He's the program chair of our art design program here at LCC. Uh, welcome, sir. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, um, the pleasure's mine and will be to our listeners too, who many I'm sure are fans of your work as well. Um, for this, this part of, of our talk, I'd like to uh, to delve into a little bit of the the paintings that you've done and the prints that that adorn the walls around here. Um, first of all, you know, what what's your background? How long have you been here? Okay, um, I started at LCC in 1986. Um, prior to that, I had been uh, I came to Michigan to do. I went to grad school at MSU and got my uh, MFA there. Originally from Wisconsin. Uh, got my BFA from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, a wonderful school up close to Minneapolis. Um, and I just, uh, after grad school, I decided I was going to go to New York and be the next big thing. Uh-huh. Didn't last hardly a day, but anyway, I was there and <laughs> back. A haymaker, huh? Uh, it, was, it was a brutal awakening. But uh, after that, and ran out of money, came home. And uh, got a job here at LCC, and one thing led to another, and here I am, still here. Fantastic. So, yeah, much, yeah. To, much to our benefit, you know, I'll tell you. Um, well, what relevance do you think art has in a place like LCC? I mean, specifically speaking of like a community college environment. I think that it's really important that people be exposed to art and just different kinds of it and and being able to see visuals in a different way. This is a time when we should be really setting our students' minds on fire. And I think that maybe sometimes art is confusing, sometimes it's frustrating, sometimes it's it's enlightening. Uh, but in the end, if it just draws any kind of a reaction and maybe someone takes the time to look at it a little more, mm-hmm. we've done our job. You know, it's really about moving people down that creative path. Yeah, yeah. People have creativity. They just don't know how to access it. Yeah, that's that's very important, especially creative thinking as it relates to non-quote artistic endeavors right. like science Absolutely. and medicine and food and you name it, you know. Yeah, we're, we're working on that over in the program. We will have a new a new course and possibly a whole new tangent to talk about in about a year. Interesting. It's all about creativity and design thinking. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, there was a thing with, but with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on mm-hmm. um, creative thinking, and then he mentioned how many of the, the who are regarded the very top intelligent tier of graduates, and, and they are plenty smart, trust me, are good memorizers and they're not specifically creative thinkers. And if you look pat down history at many of the, the icons of, of industry and of science, they were typically people who took their own path and were curious and inquisitive and creative. Um, yeah. And I won't bore you with a long list, but um, yeah, it is, it's very, very cool. Um, do you, now, the prints that you've done that I've seen in practically every building, 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about those? Okay. The, the process evolved over time. Originally, Dr. Knight approached me about just doing some prints because he wanted to cover the walls in arts and sciences when they did the rebuild. I think that was probably around 2015 or so. And it was just like, yeah, I just want some stuff up on the walls. I need some color. Go make some stuff. Hmm. And I did. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, okay, we'll take them. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't really thinking. It wasn't really, he wasn't really looking for art so much as he was looking for just things on the wall. And again, it was that whole uh, ambient learning right? Uh, and the exposures to these things. And so it started that way. And then it just snowballed into something more serious. And, you know, I, I can honestly say that there are some pieces out there that they were just, they were just put up just, they were, I had fun and here, mm -hmm. okay. Then there were some that were very purpose, mm -hmm. purpose minded yeah. and, you know, everywhere in between. Yeah. Um, the prints are, uh, some of them are just a print and uh, with just a digital print. Uh, some of them I've drawn or painted on mm -hmm. as well. The process usually starts is just working in Photoshop, uh, Adobe Photoshop software. I'm not trying to promote it, but it's mm -hmm. what I use. Uh, and I've, I've worked with techniques where I've, I've learned I get some really interesting results when I abuse Photoshop. Right. And, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Right. So there I go. Oh, sure. And that's when the interesting stuff starts happening. Yeah. And so it's somewhat uncontrolled. I kind of know what certain things will do. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't predict, but I, I know I have an idea. And you just work with it. Right. And it's just work, work, work. And, you know, edit, copy, replace, move. Yeah. And it's fun. Spend some time with it and yep. see where it goes. Let it take its own course. It takes its own course. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm the opposite. You know, I'm a control freak. You know, I'm always impressed by artists who they risk everything on a single brush stroke. I mean, I, I would never have the nerve for that. Uh, so um, I remember, and I cited this to you in an email a while ago. Um, I remember, I think it was one of the first pieces of yours that I saw resides in our uh, arts and sciences building. And I think it was in a conference room. And at the time we were looking for, um, uh, we were scouting locations to shoot a commercial. And I walked in and saw this thing. And um, yeah, I, I just transfixed me. It was just beautiful. It was done in cool tones. And uh, I thought I'm going to get a student on a stool in front of that. And uh, it'll just, it'll just come to life. And there's, there's a quality about your artwork that um, all I can think of is tranquility. I just, I'm, I'm, it just chills me out. I'm tranquil after I see it. You know, it's, it centers me, you know, if that makes sense. So, um, well, did your style evolve over the, uh, the recent LCC placemaking time period, the night era of the last 15 years or so? Yes. Yeah, it, it really did. Uh, part of it was that thanks to Dr. Knight and the opportunity I had here, I was able to work with materials and at scales I had never worked at before. I had worked large before. You know, I'd done things 8 by 16 feet, and I thought I was a big guy. Uh, boy, then we started getting into some of these really big outdoor things, and a big thing in the, in the Gannon uh, 
in the comments, and boy, mm-hmm. that was that was fun. But mm-hmm. the challenges there, and working with the materiality, and the uh, just having to work with Tim's Tim's crew and Brad, and being able to hang these things and to get them all to work together, it was it changed the way I thought about what I was doing yeah. a little bit. I became uh, probably too much now, but really hyper focused on materials and how this was going to work. Interesting. Um, which I never had before. And right. so that was an interesting change. Was it hard to hand it off? I mean, when you weren't in control of the process from beginning to complete end? No, um, because everything came back just the way I wanted it. Yeah, yeah. It really, the, the crews that worked on this stuff were amazing. Yeah. Well, there's a piece that you mentioned just now uh, that hangs in our, our, our commons area in Gannon where our, where our food court is situated. It's all brand new and gorgeous and vast. But this thing is, um, it's a quad. I mean, it's a picture that's put together in four panels. And I believe it's printed on metal. Am I correct? It's uh, actually, it's in eight panels. It's uh, eight, four by eight foot wow. uh, panels. And it's printed on dye bond. Dye bond. Which is uh, a simple... Uh, description is two real thin sheets of aluminum sandwiching a piece of plastic. Right. That's then been painted. It's, uh, it was used for a while in outdoor advertising. I don't know if it's still what, what the uses are, but it was perfect because we needed something large and we needed something lightweight. Right. And it was just the perfect material. Uh, and it was a, that's a digital print on there. I I did paint a little on it, but it's a digital print. So do you go to a specific place, and you don't have to mention any company names that are capable of printing right. on something four foot by eight foot? That one we had to we had to seek it out, and we found someone in Lansing that did right. a great job with it. Cool. Um, and you know, I've I've patronized several printing uh, companies in town, and they've all done great work for us. So yeah, yeah. Pretty pleased with that. Well, just for the listeners, if any are unfamiliar with this, um, you know, you 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 come into the building and go down the stairs and it kind of expands into what you might think of as a grand staircase that descends down into the, 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 the proper commons. And you're confronted by this artwork up on the wall. It's just, it, the spaces are designed very, with very, um, very subtle, very, um, understated tones of white and gray. And this, this work is exploding in color on a metallic finish. And it's just, it is transfixing. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, we had a picture of you up there signing it. You look like a little little tiny guy <laughs> next to this uh, this mammoth piece of amazing art. Um, well, well, do you have a favorite piece when it comes to the printed stuff? I I do. I well, I like the series that I did. It was the last thing I've done uh, for the college, which was a series of digital prints that I did some painting on. They're in the TLC. Yeah. They're just upstairs and down that that hallway coming off the back entrance. Okay, that's my favorite set. I really, um, the problem with working the way I do is that trying to repeat that is really hard because you're you're playing with happy accidents, lightning in a bottle, man. And you you know mm-hmm. you got it. I got a, a number of them to work. I can't recreate it. Um, it's I can get it close and I can do things. So uh, I am going to work with that some more. But I won't ever get that exact thing again. And I really enjoyed those. I think that there's a, a depth in them. And it allowed me to draw, actually draw. 
instead of just letting the software do the work, I did a lot of drawing mm-hmm. in the in the work itself, and that added a little to the enjoyment of it. it was, okay. I felt like I had more of a hand. Well, I, I know where I'm going to go later today <laughs> to look. Uh, there was an article years ago that was written, I think it was Brian Eno wrote this article on this. Uh, it was a recording studio in Chicago. And at the time when recording studios were a thing, this was the top level. I mean, it was like a hundred grand an hour. If you can even get your head around it, Michael Jackson recorded there, you know, this type of thing. And apparently according to the tale, um, it had every feature you could think of to do with sound. Um, if anything, one of the worst paths you could take was walking in there, not knowing what you were going to do because the possibilities were endless. Um, I think that, my personal feel, well, for me, knowing my limits, knowing my limitations, my boundaries is kind of a good point of context to start something. Um, is that the case with you and how you work your process? Uh, sometimes. Uh, it's actually many artists will start and self-limit themselves, mm-hmm. either whether it's through choosing a particular color scheme or to uh, say that I can only work in black and white or you know, my materials will only be this. And that limitation is actually freeing. You would think mm-hmm. that well, I'm being limited, but uh-huh. no, it's freeing because you don't have to think about too much of anything else. Right. And so uh, sometimes you need to do that. I just had a show that was up a, a month ago uh, down in Old Town that was drawing, and most of it was done with pastel. I limited myself yeah. to soft pastels, there because I wanted to, I needed a break. I'd been uh, working for Dr. Knight for like seven years on this stuff. And then we had the pandemic. Um, And this is my way to work through the pandemic a little Mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. And I love drawing. I love going back and and doing that. And that was a limitation that I found was really good. I ended up throwing some paint on it because I couldn't do everything I wanted, but it was okay. Yeah. It was a, a little thing. But Yes, sometimes limiting or limiting yourself, uh, you know, to working in a scale sometimes sure. I'll do. But yes. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I remember that show and uh, those were beautiful. I mean, you walk in and look in the, the pastel colors and playing toward the strengths of your medium and rather than resisting it, right. you know, and, and understanding it. That's something I tell my students all the time is never fight the character of your yeah. media. Yeah. Because I will... They will try to do a, you know, a drawing of an engine block and they want to inside of an engine block and they want to do a ink wash. And it's like, mm, no, <laughs> right. No. right. Let's reconsider here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, no, I, it, having limitations is good. And I think sometimes creatives um, fall victim to self-imposed um, expectations or self-imposed like time. Oh, I got to do this in two hours or I got to, it's okay to drag something out. If, if it's, if it's just for pure enjoyment, you know, some creatives, you know, their day jobs are doing creative work and earning it by the hour. So you, you carry that with you to the fine art end of things and that can work against you, you know? Well, um, listen, it has been fantastic. Is there anything missing? Is there anything you want to add or share with anything that people might not guess about your work or, or what you do? Um, I, you know, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head right now. 
Okay. I'll work on that. Okay. I'll well, work on that. We're going to keep the seat warm for you. In fact, okay. I want to. Uh, next, I'd like to explore some of the outdoor installations you've done too. Okay, sir. I really appreciate your time. Thank well, you for thank joining you. us today. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, visit lccconnect.arc. Thanks for lending us your imagination. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.